listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hey there, folks. A quick little quote for you to kick us off today. Consider this, that we spend more time at work than we do with our families, sleeping, or on other priorities. And if you're regularly unhappy in your career, it is imperative to improve your situation. It is possible. And that quote is from today's guest, Tammy Guler Laub. And I'm going to talk to you about Tammy, but first I want to welcome you to the podcast. This is Sarah, your host. You know you're on the No Labels, No Limits podcast, a podcast all about shedding our limiting labels and beliefs so that we can live our dreams and shine our lights in the world and what the heck, enjoy our lives. So this week, as I said, we are, in, we are being joined by Tammy, and Tammy is the author of Work from the Inside Out break through nine common obstacles and design a career that fulfills you. That's, that's a big promise in a book. So we're going to talk about the book, but let me tell you, she is a career and an executive coach. She's a speaker, a facilitator with expertise in career transitions and leadership development. And her clients represent many sectors and industries. Like, like I like to think about, she's multi-sector industry diverse, which means she speaks different languages. And um, Tammy's weekly podcast is Work From the Inside Out. And on that, she showcases career transition stories of people who found more meaningful work. Her expertise has appeared in Forbes, Fast Company, The Boston Globe, Harvard Business Review Ascend. And she holds a BA in psychology from Hampshire College, in Amherst and an MBA from Boston University, obviously in Boston. So now with that as a brief introduction for a woman who has a long and valuable career history, let's welcome our guest, Tammy Guler Loeb. Did I pronounce Loeb right? Is it Loeb or Loeb? You did. You, you, you aced it. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks. I'll take that. Ooh, ta-da. <laughs> so it's really good to have you on the show. And for our listeners, I got introduced to Tammy through a mutual friend, mm-hmm. a colleague, and someone who I totally trust, which is our online business man- manager, Summer Zipko. So shout out to Summer. She brings me to Tammy and Tammy to you. Yes. Um, so before we start, Tammy, is there anything you want to add to that little piece that I just shared? No, I, well, other than to, to, I'd like to chisel it in stone. Um, <laughs> I'm delighted that you used that at the beginning. I, that, that, you know, I think what makes me think is like, I feel seen and heard by you pulling that quote out. And how many of us in our work days, in our careers, all we want to do is feel seen or heard or understood and appreciated for what we bring to the table. Absolutely. Um, and it's not about getting a trophy for participation. It's about just feeling like we're making a difference. We're making an impact. Right. And, um, 
And so I, I, that ties right into just feeling seen and heard. So thank you. Well, very cool. You're very welcome. Um, I love quotes. I like when people say things that resonate for me, obviously, um, because as every other human, we have a self-centered like, oh, how does this fit me? Um, mm -hmm. But then I think about how applicable it is to our listening audience, um, the other people I work and connect with and how powerful that statement is, um, and especially the it is possible part. Mm -hmm. So before we dive into all the nuggets and information you get to share, let me ask you a question I ask all my guests, and that sure. is whether there is something that you do daily or regularly, if it's not daily, that keeps you focused on your own big dreams and goals from that whole self perspective. Hmm. Well, um, I think the, the one thing I probably do regularly, I don't know about daily, but I definitely try to pause and think about, this is gonna sound so corny, but it's okay. I am a corny person. I always try to think about what I'm grateful for. So whether it's sort of the exercise, three good things, thinking about just three, either three good things in general, or, and usually it's at night as I'm going, going to sleep. I just think about what I'm grateful for. Um, or I think about what's going well, just from a real place of appreciation and trying to focus on what's positive in what's going on in a, in a realistic way, not, not in a, in a Pollyanna way. Um, because I could easily go in the other direction. <laughs> so you mean in the Pollyanna direction or in the negative no, direction? I mean, in the, I mean, in the, what, what, you know, what didn't I get done that day? You know, oh. if it's at the end of the day, right. What, a what's beat still Tammy to up be done? direction. Yeah. Or just a little dissatisfied, a little bit like, a yeah, but, you know, yeah, but, and um, as if yeah, but's one word, you know, that kind of thing. And, and we all do that to ourselves, but I do find myself in the habit, especially really probably before I fall asleep, just thinking what I feel good about, what I'm grateful for. And, and I think especially in these last couple of years with all the things that are going on, in this country and in our world, I, I think it's especially poignant now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it's nice when we get in those habits, you know, of what am I grateful for? What went well? It's amazing how pretty soon those become a little quicker. It's like mm -hmm. you can be through your day and going, oh, this is going great. Oh, how fun is this? Right. Mm -hmm. Instead of like thinking, oh my gosh, I should have done better on that or whatever. It starts rewiring. It does. It, it does. absolutely does. And so when I do fall into maybe a little bit of a, a downward slide, I'm, I'm able to catch it much more quickly and say, wait a minute, it's time for a reframe here. <laughs> and, and it's like, hey, you're a coach. You got to reframe this. Um, and right. I do. I say that to myself. I know I talk to myself a lot, but, but sometimes you have to, and it's not oh, like, yeah. I'm not mean. It's like, Hey girl, let's go out and look up at the sky for a few minutes. Cause you're too yeah. focused on these minutiae. Let's go up mm -hmm. and get big here. Yeah. Take a breath. Yeah. Oh, by the way, you can breathe. 
there's something to be thankful for. Well, there you go. There's air. Wow. Yeah, how lucky are we? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, all last summer, and this is interesting, in this area, we had such fires that people yeah. couldn't go out. I mean, right. I had no problem going out masked up during the pandemic height, right? Mm -hmm. Not with the fires, because you're breathing no. ash. So, yeah. I mean, it gives you this sense of like, wow, this is nice. We mm. can be outside. So, yeah. Little things, little things. Well, so, and they're not so little when you're when you're living that way for months and months with yep. with the with the fires and everything. That was that was serious business. It is. And we've got more coming. But um, at the moment, all is well. So let's get back to you. Um, so, Tammy, you have undergone multiple career transitions mm -hmm. in your own professional journey. So mm -hmm. what obstacles and challenges do you remember facing during those times? So um, that's a big question. Uh, I would say that probably what, what felt like one of the biggest obstacles to me over the years was when I was employed, as opposed to being when I was employed by other people versus being self-employed. Okay. Um, and I've been self-employed for over 20 years now. So I was employed by other people for also over about 20 years. And I'd say the biggest obstacles were things like organizational politics and having to, or being expected to conform to sets of rules and ways of operating that I didn't always agree with or didn't feel like suited me. Um, which is why I became self-employed. So there were just a lot of things that would go on in the environments I was in, even though sometimes the work itself was very appealing and very satisfying. I found that the environments in which I had to do the work often would really put a, a wet blanket on some of it. And that, and that was just something I was particularly tuned into and sensitive to. I think there were other people who really could tolerate that or could deal with it far better than I could. And um, it wasn't about right or wrong. It was, it was more about me knowing probably from for many years before I was able to do it, that I really needed to work for myself and not be in a structure where I was told where I had to be and when and being asked all the time for things that I didn't care about. Um, <laughs> you can say that out loud. <laughs> well, the, most of it, I the did internal dialogue is like, are you kidding me? You want me to take my time and tell you that right now? We have many important things we should be working on. Right. Well, there were, you know, there were, there were, um, you know, I think I think what I what I joke around, I joke around, and I say I'm not a very good employee, <laughs> but, you know, that's not really true. I, I, I usually did very well in, in my various jobs um, because I would usually leave before things, you know, got really difficult for me. Um, it just didn't it just really drained me to be in a situation where I was expected to think and do things somebody else's way. And it just didn't work for me. So is that what you mean when you talk about doing 
inner work? Like, is that part of the inner work that you did to identify and, and kind of break through your own kind of beliefs about work and designing your own career path? That's part of it. I think I think that's that's a piece of it. I think the other piece of the inner work, it's 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 so there's a couple of things there. It's about listening to the voice or the voices that are speaking to you from that internal place. The messages, they know they may not be explicit messages as in real voices. It might be just a hunch, a feeling. Um, a little bit of a, yeah, it could just be a feeling. It could be that your stomach tightens up in certain situations or you get a headache or you find yourself not wanting to get out of bed on Monday morning. Or, I mean, people have all kinds of visceral uh, experiences as well. Um, But I think it, it also comes under the category of things like, do I know what I really want to be doing? Am I really interested in what I'm in what I'm actually doing, that's a separate issue, I think, in some ways from being in an environment or in an organizational culture that you're happy in. Because, you know, I had jobs as a teenager, for example, that weren't particularly exciting jobs. They were pretty routine kinds of operational types of, of jobs, nothing exciting. But the environments I was in were fun to be in. I was with other teenagers and we could joke around and fool around while we got our jobs done. And so I liked going to work because I was kind of making, I was making money and I was hanging out with other cool people. And that's all that mattered to me at the time. So going to work was fine, but it didn't matter what I was doing because I was in an environment where I felt like the people I worked with were nice to work with. Um, years later, I had other goals. So I think it's dependent on what your goals are, what you want for yourself, and how you want to spend your days, too. So, you know, I come across a lot of people who look at their goals very narrowly. And uh, and then they come to me and they say, you know, I'm I'm really not happy. I think I need to look somewhere else. And when they start to look somewhere else, they realize there's a whole other world out there of other things they can consider. So sometimes it's an identification of who do I want to be at work? Where will I feel comfortable? What kinds of things do I want to engage with? Do I want to engage with people or do I want to engage with things? Sometimes, for example, uh, people who have highly technical careers, Oftentimes, if they're really good at it, let's say a software engineer, they're really great. They're doing fabulous. And then they get promoted to a management role. And they're like a fish out of water because all of a sudden they're being asked to be managers and they're being asked to manage people and deal with personnel issues and all these other things that they have absolutely no skills in or some of them don't. And all of a sudden, they are struggling and they're not happy. And so something that they really enjoyed went away. They can't really do a lot of that anymore because they're so busy just managing the team. And they don't feel like they know what they're doing. And so it's interesting. Yeah. So and there's a um, when you get offered a promotion, people in like say that. Let's stay with that example. Yeah. That person said, you know what? I really want to stay being an engineer. 
other people think, what is wrong with you, right? Aren't you on this mm. career path? Um, and I know people who have been in law enforcement for years and they would not, they were like the best. People went to them because mm. they were the best detective, the best this. They refused promotions for years. Mm -hmm. They said, I'm doing what I love. I'm super yep. at this. I love it. Um, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want right. the extra like admin piece right. and not right. getting to do what I'm really good at and serving right. my community. So um, that piece, when you talk about like understanding what is it you want is powerful. It is. And so that's an internal you know, I don't know that you have to do a lot of internal work to discover that for some people they might because because sometimes we're so practiced at doing what we think we're supposed to do rather than what we really want to do. You know, we're supposed to want to progress. We're supposed to want to climb that ladder, no matter what is on that ladder, you know. Um, and the fact is that what might be on that ladder just doesn't work for you. And yet we're told, well, if you don't want to, what's wrong with you? There's something wrong with me. I don't, I don't want to do this. So it, but it also doesn't mean that it's, that it's an all or nothing thing. Maybe there's other options. And that's the other thing is that a lot of people think in terms of all or nothing, especially when they're starting to get a little restless or a little discouraged or even downright, you know, really anxious or really unhappy they think in in all or nothing terms versus what are some other variations on the theme that might really fuel who I am and and still feel like I'm growing because people do generally want to grow, but there's lots of different ways to grow. So is that what you mean when you say design a career? Because oftentimes we hear people, what career are you going to pursue, right? To chase right. after. But right. you use the word, and I'm assuming very intentionally, design yeah. a career. Mm -hmm. So what's the distinction? And mm -hmm. how can we think about that more, not just intentionally, like if I'm mm -hmm. going to think about what I'm doing, but take ownership of it and say, I want to yeah. design my career, what's the mindset shift or my thoughts that I need to think about? Well, you just said one of the magic words is ownership, right? First, you have to feel like you have ownership. So design a career means that you are taking a look inside first. So one of the first places you're going to want to look is what are your values? What's most important to you? And then how are you going to make sure that you stay true to those values or to the best of your ability, right? I'm not, again, I'm not talking in all or nothing terms here. Everything, everything has variations, but you want to be clear about what values, uh, you know, there, for some people, there may be certain values that are deal breakers for them or other parameters, like, you know, even, even very uh, straightforward things like how long a commute they are willing to do or not do to go to work, depending on what their home situation is. So there's all kinds of things from the very practical matters to much more, let's say, emotional or spiritual kinds of concerns to thinking about what are you good at? Now, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you enjoy it, right? So there are a lot of people who, I, when I speak with them about what they might want to do next, if they're trying to think of something new or a little different, and I hear in this very tone, they'll say, well, 
I could do this, you know, as if I have these skills, but there's no commitment there. It's like, well, I'm capable of this and that's wonderful. And I, you know, I always say, well, you know, I'm, I'm really good at house cleaning. I'm really good at it. And guess what? I don't enjoy it. I know people who really get a great sense of satisfaction out of cleaning. Like when they're stressed out and they just, they start cleaning or they start doing something around the house. That is not what I do when I'm stressed. (laughs) I don't start cleaning the house. That would stress me out more. Um, But so I use that as an example, like don't ask me to clean the house for pleasure (laughs) or, or or to satisfy something within me. But there are people who enjoy that. And I'm delighted that there are people who enjoy that. So, so there, you know, you've got to think about, even though you might be good at something, think about what do you really enjoy? Think about things you've done in the past. What are the things that gave you the greatest sense of, of satisfaction? Maybe it was um, a certain team of people you worked with. What was the dynamic there? So think about organizational cultures. Think about some of the things you did, but don't think about each thing in a vacuum. Think about kind of develop a whole picture, paint a picture for yourself and really identify those things. And then, then you start, you have something to talk about when you speak to people, when they say, how can I help you? What are you looking for? Well, I'm looking for a situation that has some of these elements in it. I don't know exactly what I might call it, but these are some of the elements that I think would be a good fit. Well, you can describe a context, right? A picture for somebody else. And um, like, we might not have the same words, but if I can describe something or you describe something, I would go, oh, I know exactly what Tammy's looking for. And in fact, not only do I know what you're looking for, I know someone who wants someone who's looking for that. Exactly. Or I know an organization that really has that feel to it. I want to introduce you to somebody there and let you have a conversation with them. I don't know if they have openings, but you should definitely get to know them. That's interesting because that is a really powerful thing. Um, And that was one of the things I did with a gal I worked with. She says, I really, I think I want to work with those guys. And I said, well, reach out. Yeah. She goes, why? What would I say? And I said, okay. So we some of the conversation, like, what could you offer them? What do you are? Why do you want to work there? Number one, she had, she was clear. She'd done research. She knew, she knew herself. She'd done a bunch of inner work and she goes, but here's what I think they need. And I said, do you have some time where you could just do like, say, Hey, let me gift you 10 hours of pro bono and just show you what it might feel like. And yeah, that's, that's, sealed the deal. She had part-time work right after that. Oh, that's great. I love stories like that. But that's because she had a picture. Like you yeah. were saying, she said, this is the feeling I want. These are the people I want to be around. This is what I want. She didn't say, I want to do these tasks, mm-hmm. but she knew mm-hmm. what she could do to contribute, mm-hmm. but it was mm-hmm. within that whole picture because mm-hmm. there were mm-hmm. many things she could do, right? Sure, but they yeah. weren't the things that lit her up. Right. Exactly. And it doesn't mean that she won't have to do some of those things as part of her role. Look, we all have to do things we don't love doing sometimes. It's it's not it's not in a pure form. But if the majority of things we're doing are things that generally give us satisfaction, leave us feeling as if we're still growing and learning along the way. If we feel respected and we feel like we're making contributions, 
Those are some of the key elements. And those are the things that people complain about the most when they don't have those things in the workplace. Let me, I'm going to ask you to turn left a little bit with me because in the reading and the research I've been doing, and it's all over the news too. And anybody who's in HR is aware of this human resources work um, or recruiting um, is this whole thing about people leaving their jobs Mm. in droves. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just read an article this morning that in higher ed over, I want to say it was close to 70, 72% of people are saying that within the next 12 to 15 months, they want out. They want out for many of the things that you're talking about, the flexibility, um, the structure, just so, but that was one article. But I wanted to ask you, like, what are you seeing around Mm -hmm. that? And what are some of the, I'm not sure red flags, but what are some of the jumping points that we should be paying attention to so that we don't go from the fire to the frying pan? Well, I think that, you know, it kind of comes under the category of you can pick up and leave. People are feeling more empowered that way. Um, but don't assume the grass is greener somewhere else, first of all. So watch what your assumptions are about what you think life is going to be in some other way, unless you are genuinely, you know, really ready to retire and you know that you've got, you know, your, your finances and your situation all lined up. But we're not talking about that specifically. We're really talking about people who will probably be looking to do something else. Um, so, but what I've seen is I've seen people who, who leave because they feel like they just don't even have the time or the bandwidth to look for something else while they're still working and they're feeling more empowered to leave. Um, and then they start looking and they realize it's pretty challenging to look for a job. There's a lot to it these days. And if they haven't looked for a job in at least five to eight years, it's a whole nother animal now. And I don't say that to scare anyone. I say it because there's some nuances now that are fundamental to applying for employment that weren't in place easily 10 years ago or more. And if you haven't applied for a job in those years, there's some new things you need to learn about things like applicant tracking systems and the different ways that you should really be networking and all of those kinds of things that are really strategic and can really help you land in the right next place. But it takes work. And I think people still oversimplify what the process is like. And when they start to get frustrated and they get frustrated very quickly, I hear this a lot from people. They'll say, well, you know, or if people get laid off, well, I mean, I've been, I've been laid off for two months already and I haven't, I mean, and nothing's happened. It's like two months is nothing. You know, it's nothing if, if, especially if you're looking for a role where you're, you know, somewhat mid or senior level and you're, you're, you're looking for a role with some responsibility, it's literally a drop in the bucket. Um, If you're looking for a meaningful role, if you just want to find any old job, I would say most people could just go out and find a job. They may not like what they find, but they could find something. What I have been seeing is people who are a little further along in their careers and they've either decided to leave or they've been laid off 
and they start talking to people because they have a network and they get, you know, they get an offer. And it might even be a really good offer in terms of, let's say, salary or benefits. And they take it. And then you start filling in the blanks. Well, do they have a job description? No, they don't have a job description yet. Do they know who's reporting to them? No, they don't know yet. Do they have a job title? No, not yet. But, you know, they used to work with the the president, you know, like 15 years ago, and they know each other, and I'm sure it's just going to be fine. And there's so many question marks all over the situation. And really what they've done is they've signed up for a salary and benefits, and they haven't really taken the time to really figure out what have I gotten myself into. And I think I've seen this over and over again, where somebody goes into a situation like that. Sometimes it works out, but I would say the odds are 50% or less that they won't be out starting to look again in a few months when they realize they really had no idea what they were stepping into. And, you know, those are those kind of knee jerk reactions, you know, where they're just so concerned about their stability and security. They make one decision and not really take into account, what will my quality of life at work be? What what am I really signing up for? Um, I see it all the time. And I've even had clients who've done that. You know, I'll start working with them and all of a sudden they'll say, oh, I got a job. Bye. It's like, um, did you want to discuss that with me or? Okay, well, keep just, you know, let me know how it's going. And then I usually hear back from many of them. For a little work. Yep. Mm -hmm. But, you know, back to the drawing board. But how great for someone to say, okay, I jumped, I took a chance, Mm -hmm. and now I want to rethink it and not not beat themselves up and say, I took the chance, I got to stay there. But to go, okay, I put myself out there, I took a chance, I need to refine that decision in one way or another, so I need to connect back with Tammy and dig in a little deeper on this, right? Well... I, I wish I wish it came across that way that they just kind of forgave themselves and and came back and did it. But they're usually there's more damage that's been done. Sure. In the meantime, it's it's really t- taken a, a toll on their self esteem. Um, they've probably gotten into a, a work situation where they started to doubt themselves a whole lot because of the way they were um, engaging or were engaged with in the new work environment. Um, they realized they really didn't know what they really wanted. And so they, they just start questioning everything. It almost happens in some cases, it happens almost overnight. It's amazing how somebody can be a fairly confident, you know, skilled, talented professional, and one thing can happen and, and they will start doubting themselves very, very quickly. Um, but it makes sense, Tammy. Think about it. You know, you're already kind of, especially if you've been laid off or you've jumped and you're nervous, right? So you're already, edgy is the wrong word, but you're already anticipating what could go wrong, whether you're verbalizing it or not, right? Mm -hmm. So there's just that, that piece under you thinking, oh my God, did I really mess things up? And how could I, you know, it's all this stuff. And it doesn't take a lot in a negative environment for all of those thoughts to be amplified, whether intentionally or not. Right. Yeah. So, 
Um, so for anybody listening who's in that spot, do yourself a favor and forgive yourself for any mistake you perceive you have made. It is just where you are at the moment. Right. And it's not where you need to stay. And I would add to that and say, if if somebody else was walking in your shoes, what would you say to them? Now say that to yourself. I know. I love that. I'm thinking, I actually, I get kind of tough on that one. I just think, okay, if I know something about their family, I'll say, would you talk to so-and-so, your eight-year-old that way? Mm-hmm. I would never talk to them that way. And I said, okay, stop it. You yeah. don't talk to you that way either. Cause that's who you're talking to is the little kid in you when you're saying how bad you are and blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. And I would even add to that and say, and if your eight year old or your 12 year old or your 15 year old sees how quickly you're getting to be hard on yourself, cause it will show and they will pick up on it. They will learn from that and they will, you will be modeling that for them. Is that what you want to model for them? Or do you want to model some other kind of, let's say, emotional intelligence for them? Yep. Yeah. And it gives, it gives people um, permission to try and not have things always work out. Right. It's like, or, you know, so I think there's, it's such a piece of, it's a way of gracious living for yourself and for those you're modeling for and are around you. Um, but I, but that leads me to want to ask you something else about both your book and what you talk to in there. But, you know, you say that knowing our why is how we can um, connect to our meaningful work, right? Like mm-hmm. we're clear on our why. Um and then that we can be authentic without changing who we are, compromising our values. It sounds a little bit to me like what you were just describing with that uh, jump, if you will, like, okay, I've got this job, I'm jumping, that some of the rub from that can be finding out we've compromised what matters to us, especially after we've learned that about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. True. How do we know, though? How does someone begin to know their why? I mean, sometimes if you've been like you painted the picture of that person who's been in a career a long time and has decided it's not a fit for them anymore. What is one of the first steps or the ways people can start going? But really, what is my why? What's what's driving me? Well, you know, the why is is really the why can look like a few different things or the way in which we go about addressing the why can look like lots of different things. So, so, um, and the why is really not singular. It could be more than one thing. So for example, somebody might say, you know, my why is, is to make a good living so I can take care of my family. My why is to take care of my family. So I would flesh that out with them and I would say, okay, so you have, I don't know, you have three children and you want your children to know that you're taking good care of them. What does that look like to you? Is it just about being able to pay for things or what other ways are you taking good care of them? And, and how, you know, so the example I just gave about modeling things like modeling what it's like to go to work or to have a job that you like. That's part of taking good care of your family is showing showing your children that there are things you can do 
to enjoy your work or if you're not enjoying your work to be able to talk about that and then talk about what are the steps you're taking to either get help or to start to rethink what you might want to do for work because you realized that what you've been doing was good for the time and now it's not meeting your needs anymore. You want to do something else and it's okay to model making change for them and to not make it a scary thing. So to me, that's part of the why. The why is I'm taking care of my family by by modeling for them what are some good habits for being good to myself. It also, if we're clear and staying with that example, when things are tough, like you said, every every job, even self-employed, has those mm-hmm. moments that are tougher than others. Absolutely. Um, but when you can connect to the why, it's like, it's not that big a deal, right? I'm doing it for this reason, right? Mm-hmm. And if and if that really means something to you, mm-hmm. then it doesn't feel like it's a heavy lift. So it almost sounds like when it becomes troublesome is when your values, your why, and where you're working do not align in any way whatsoever. Right. Or or there's enough misalignment. I mean, you know, I, I can say from my own experience that there were jobs that I had where the work I was doing was fully aligned with me, but the environment in which I was doing it and some of the dynamics that were going on around me were completely out of alignment to the point where it it really started to tear me apart. I mean, seriously. And I really stayed too long. And once I got out of there, it took me a while to recover from it. Do you think, um, that with the whole great resignation, I'm going to be curious what we call it 10 years from now, but for now, um, is that about misalignment, environment? I mean, if you were to like take the context, is there or are there a few themes that you keep seeing coming through there? Is it about emotional intelligence or because I see people wanting to do quick fixes, like put this in place, offer these benefits, and I'm thinking, Okay, I'm not sure that would satisfy for everybody. Right. Well, those are extrinsic motivators, right? If you, well, we'll give you a raise or we'll give you this external thing. And instead, what people are really, I think, wanting is to feel valued, appreciated, and to feel like what they're doing is making a difference, not just throwing a few benefits their way. They they like the benefits, don't get me wrong, but that's not going to change how they do their work. That's not going to change their ability to grow. And so those are the things that we, I mean, when I say we know, there's tons of research that shows um, what really motivates and what really engages people. So that those kinds of factors haven't really changed. What has changed is that everybody's been traumatized by this pandemic and you know a lot of things went on i say it as if it's in the past we're still dealing with it's still going on and so you know the great resignation is is interpreted in a number of different ways i think we're still trying to make meaning out of it some people think that they understand it um I think it I think it has given people an opportunity to take more ownership 
of their work more than they had before. And they're realizing that they can push back a little more with their employers, maybe even a lot more, because there has been more jobs out there. They can move around more easily. Employers have had to be more flexible around that. And so people are a little less loyal, whereas before employers were a little less loyal. We had we had a dynamic going on for many years before that where layoffs were be, becoming more and more common. Mergers and acquisitions were becoming more and more common. So, um, you know, some of the trends that we're seeing now are, they're not really shocking to me at all, given what's happened. And I think I think employers really just don't know what to do or how to handle um, the changes that have gone on and how to get people re-engaged, whether it's physically back in the office or just re-engaged in general. And so there there is this disconnect, I think, between leadership and the employee population. And it's it's people are struggling with it. Yeah. I also think that there is potentially, this is more from just watching people, but there is also a disconnect at the leadership level from saying, you know what, I cannot artificially put this on those staff because I'm feeling the same way. I don't see a reason for me to behave X, Y, and Z because it doesn't benefit us as a whole. Right. So that the incongruence with like, here's how it needs to be done versus really in the last two years, we've been super productive and it hasn't looked anything like that. So why does it have to be that way? Right. And I don't think we've answered that question, but I think just saying, because it's like the old saying, as long as you live in our household under the roof, these are the rules, right? Yeah. As a parent, I like those rules. So, (laughs) (laughs) Because I said so, right. But that just doesn't fly, right? And we miss so much because there's such smart people who want to work and like you say, be recognized for their contributions. And um, when when things have to be the way, we miss the way. And I, I think people are trying to figure it out too quickly, actually. You know, there's this sort of fix-it mentality. And, and yet I understand the impulse to want to do that. But we are still in the middle, in some regards, of this pandemic. And so to just say, okay, everybody back to the office, you know, back back to normal. It's like, mm, There is no normal. It, you cannot go back. It, you have to really figure out what what it needs to look like now. And, you know, one one way I think leadership could possibly, and I think probably some companies are doing this. I haven't heard about many that are doing this or any. Why don't you ask people what they think will work well? Maybe make them part of the plan rather than just telling them what you expect of them. Well, so that now you're singing my choir song, because when I work and do planning with people, I say, who's on your planning team? It's like, no, everybody's on your planning team. Otherwise, I'm not your best consultant. Honestly, I'm not because you can't plan in isolation and then hand it down and say, these are your marching orders because people don't care. They don't connect. It isn't that they don't care about the work. They don't connect and see themselves or their contribution. Right. That's um, right. Tammy, I want to, before the interview's over, let's talk about your book. I mean, we've talked about aspects of it, but yeah, yeah. share about like the premise of it, 
what you want people to take away from it and kind of mm-hmm. how you've structured it. How, like, if as I read it, what, how I should think about it maybe as mm-hmm. a way to think. So the book is, um, it, it has nine chapters and each chapter focuses on a specific area or obstacle that I have seen commonly in my 20 plus years as a career coach. Um, areas that seem to, well, I call them obstacles. They're, they're the things that seem to get in the way of people really taking ownership and designing their careers. So, um, so I chose stories of individuals that I felt exemplified people who really moved beyond those obstacles or for some for whom those obstacles never appeared to be an obstacle. So they very organically just made various career changes or career transitions and moved towards what they wanted. So for example, one of the chapters is called It's Too Late because a lot of people will say to me, it's too late. I've been on this trajectory for a while. I've put a lot into it. I couldn't possibly change it now, or I don't want to start all over again. So there's an assumption that if you make a change, you're going to have to start all over again, as if everything you've done up till that point isn't going to count for anything, Um, which is silly because you don't, why would you do that to yourself? (laughs) Um, And, you know, or I don't want to go back to school or I don't want to have to pay for school. I would have to go back to school to do that. So I don't want to do that. Okay. So you don't want to go back to school. Then that's a choice. But do you want to stay where you are right now? Does that look good to you? You know, so, so people use their age or their numbers of years as a reason not to move forward. Uh, or I have too many responsibilities. I'm taking care of this one, that one. I got kids to put through college. There's no way I could make a move right now. Or, um, you know, for some people, it's just a generalized fear of change. You know, just better to deal with the devil you know than the devil you don't know. And so the minute they they start to think about change, their amygdala gets triggered and their fight or flight response kicks in and they just, they just stop. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. But then they revisit over and over and over again why they're unhappy in their current situation or maybe even in, in the field that they're in. So these are the things that I see over and over again. Um, I think people also have a fairly stagnant image of what success means and they've attached a certain meaning to success so one of the other chapters is called success is not a destination you know they don't always think about all the wins along the way all the things that they've done that they can really hang their hats on and feel good about and instead they're aiming for some far off point of success that they can you know I don't know, right off into the sunset on or reach a certain pinnacle of financial wealth or something. And that's, that's one way to look at success, but it's, it's not, it's not the only way. And I suggest that there's other ways that could be more satisfying. So these are some of the chapters in the book and each chapter 
is really um, populated by at least two to three stories of people I've either known in my life or a former client or more, more often than not um, my podcast guests, because all my podcast guests tell their stories of career transitions and different things that they did, decisions they made, how they went about those uh, transitions, how they made those decisions, what they were thinking at the time. So I have some really interesting stories in the book. And even if you're not thinking about a transition, the stories are just fascinating in and of themselves. One, one of my favorites, they're all really great, but one of my favorites is, is in the first chapter is a gentleman who started his career as a minister. And after a few years, he had gone to see the movie Mississippi Burning, which was um, all about the civil rights movement. And he got all fired up about that. And he thought, you know, I know I'm doing a lot of good with what I'm doing now, but I want to do something else. And he started talking to a few people he knew who worked for the FBI. And he said, I want to go work for the FBI. I want to be an FBI agent. And he did. He applied to the FBI. He went to Quantico. He made it through all that really rigorous training. You know, I think like there's a very low percentage of people actually make it through. He made it through and he became a hostage negotiator. And he also did things like talking fugitives off the streets and bringing them in and doing all kinds of things and um, had a very full career as an FBI agent after that. There's a pivot. Yeah. Um, it's a really fun story, but there's lots of other other great stories in the book. Some of them are the last chapter I focus on uncertainty. And I say, you know, the only thing that's um, that we know about uncertainty is that it's certain <laughs> life is full of it. And the, the stories that I tell in that last chapter are, are three stories of people who had very sudden uncertain circumstances and how they came back from those situations and moved their lives forward and, and really did take some significant career pivots. Um, but they're all very compelling. I think I love, I love talking to people about their career transitions. So, well, that's yeah, what's very also, apparent though. Yeah. <laughs> what's also in the book at the end of each chapter, there are reflective questions and guiding activities for the reader. So that as, as they're reflecting on what they read in the chapter, they can then do some of their own reflections or engage in some activities on their own. The other thing about the book that's really, really great is you don't have to read the whole book. You could pick a couple of chapters that just apply to you and work through those. The other thing that's at the very end of the book is a pretty robust resources section. Lots of websites, podcasts, and other resources, books, that would be very, very helpful to people who are trying to decide or trying to identify what their next steps might be. So I noticed that you also have a workbook. Yes. Can you share about that and, and what it is and how people can get it? Sure. So that's a, that's a, um, a gift that your, your listeners can certainly avail themselves of. So the workbook is uh, I took all the reflective questions and guiding activities from the end of each chapter in the book. And I compiled them into a workbook so that you could actually work through the exercises and have space to write things down or to 
you know, use your creative juices and give you lots of space to work on that. And I put that in a PDF form, but I also added some bonus activities into that workbook as well. So there's, there are some things in that workbook that are not in the book itself. And uh, people can access that by going to my website, TammyGoolerLobe.com forward slash workbook. So and we'll make sure if you're listening and driving, don't worry. Just look <laughs> at the show notes. We'll have links to Tammy's information. Um, what is the best way, Tammy, for like someone's listening, they're thinking, I just need some more time with Tammy. What's the <laughs> best way to get that? Well, they can go to my website. I'm the only Tammy Guler on earth, as far as I know, Tammy Guler Loeb. So if they even mangle my name and try to type it in, I should surface somewhere. <laughs> TammyGulerLoeb.com. Just okay. go to my website. You can click um, on the inquiry. There's, a, there's an area where you can click and let me know that you'd like to chat or connect in some way. I also encourage people to reach out to me through LinkedIn and let me let me know how you found me. If you found me through this podcast, let me know that you were listening. I always love to know about things like that. Well, and I have another request of folks. If you've been listening to Tammy today and you personally have found value or you know somebody who is going through some of this transition or could benefit from Tammy, please just take the link to this podcast and forward it to them and share mm -hmm. it. Just, it's a free gift you can give someone yeah. else from the time you've invested in being here. And you never know how your message will land at the right time to someone. So don't be stingy, share something with someone else, um, share Tammy. Mm -hmm. And I trust that this message will get to the people that it needs to get to when they need to hear it. So I wanna thank all of our listening audience for helping us kind of spread the no labels, no limits, no excuses message. And Tammy, a personal heartfelt thing for being, thanks for being on the podcast today. I have so enjoyed speaking with you and learning from you. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. It's really been a joy to be here. I really loved your questions and enjoyed our conversation. Okay, we'll do it again. You've been listening yeah. to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.